All right. Hey, good evening. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of James. It's hard to believe we have come to the end of our journey through James. And uh, it's been such a joy to walk through this book. I hope you've been challenged. I know that I have. And if you haven't read through the entire book of James this semester, I would encourage you to do that. You could literally go home and read it through in less than 30 minutes. And uh, or maybe you would want to just take a chapter a day and over the next five days that you would read through that. But, uh, you know, we've spent several weeks walking through this book and James is writing to a group of believers and he wants them to to put their their faith into action. And we've talked about that, that James is a book about faith in action. And so I would challenge you that. Uh, sometime in the next few days when you have some some downtime, that you would walk through this book, that you would ask that God would speak something fresh and new to you, that he would ask you, or that you would ask him to remind you what we've studied. And so go ahead and open up to James chapter 5. Last week we talked uh, ver- about verses 1 through 11, and we walked through those, and then on Sunday we talked about James chapter 5 verse 12. And so if you weren't with us this Sunday, we walked through that verse short verse that talks about our our speech should be honest. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. And so we talked about as believers, we should have honest speech. And now tonight, we're going to work through verses 13 through 20. And the title of tonight's message is simply step one. I brought some items uh, that I wanted to show you. Got them from the Terry Pantry. Uh, For those of you that that cook at home, maybe you'll recognize some of this. This is not hardcore cooking. Uh, We've got a can of soup. I don't know if we have any soup eaters out there. Uh, Maybe you like to make um, rice, flavored rice. We've got some chicken-flavored fried rice. Any fried rice fans? Okay, so if you were to make this at home, there's a few things that you'd have to do, even if you're going to heat up some soup. So on the back of the soup can, uh, there's some instructions on how to heat it up. And it says, uh, let's see, so it tells me some things to do here. So it says serving instructions, says don't add water. Uh, It says to heat until simmering while stirring. So we've got some steps on here that we need to take if we want to eat this soup. Angela says that when she was in college, she ate soup all the time, so she would save a lot of money. And I think she was able to do that. Uh, And I appreciate her saving money so that when we got married, we had some money. Um, So on the back of this packet, of rice here, it says number one. So step one here, it says in a medium saucepan, bring one to one three quarter cups of water and a teaspoon of vegetable oil or margin, margin and contents of pack. Yeah, margarine. Yeah, I'm, I'm still working on the English language and contents of package to a boil. So again, there's some set and then you got to do all these other things. Uh, there's some oatmeal in, in my bag. Anybody eat oatmeal for breakfast? Any oatmeal eaters? Uh, this is the instant oatmeal stuff. Uh, on the back of this, it's got some instructions. So it, we've got some conventional cooking directions. We've got some microwave cooking directions. For the microwave, it's number one, empty packet into microwave-safe bowl. So number one is open it up and dump it out. So why am I talking about instructions? So obviously, if we're going to eat some food, if we're going to cook, or maybe, maybe you like to buy fresh ingredients because you have a recipe and you want to follow that, then typically you follow some kind of instructions, whether you get that in a cookbook or you get it offline and you follow it step by step. Okay, there's step one. There's always something. You've got to start at a particular place. For the oatmeal, you start by tearing the bag open and pouring it into a bowl. But as believers, 
when we walk through life, we need to understand that God's word should dictate the things that we do. In the same way that instructions on the back of a food packet should dictate how we cook that meal, God's word should dictate how we live our lives. And so tonight, again, the title of the message, Step One, we're looking at what is that first step as believers that, that first instruction that we see all throughout Scripture, if we're going to have a healthy relationship with God, if we're going to have a relationship with God that is flourishing, if we enjoy the fellowship with God that, that we are intended to have, the first step is for us to have a prayer life, that you and I are to pray. We see that James, he's, he's walked us through, uh, through, through this book, and we've seen specific things that he has said to do. Obviously, God's speaking through him. And we come to this last section of scripture and we see that the focus is prayer. And so let's just start reading in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Some of you are about to go into finals. So you would say, yes, I'm suffering. <laughs> is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and he, he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. If you would just bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, we thank you for your word. God, as we walk through this passage, would you teach us about prayer? Would you teach us what it means to be people of prayer? And I pray that you would just speak to us. Thank you for what you've done through this uh, book in our lives. And we, we ask that you would speak right now through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we come to this passage, we see verses 13 through 18 in your Bible. It may be divided up. And then we have verses 19 and 20. So it's kind of, we have these two sections. Well, verses 13 through 18, uh, we see the, the word prayer or prayer in its form seven times in six verses. And, and so this helps us understand that this is the theme of what James is talking about. If you've ever read scripture and you're like, man, I don't know, like, what, what am I reading here? One of the things you can do is look for repetition. Well, James says, hey, pray here, pray here, pray here. He says the word prayer here. He talks about Elijah being somebody who prayed. And so we can understand that, hey, James wants the people that read this letter to understand something about prayer. And so that's what we need to understand is that this is what James is talking about. Now, on Sunday morning, Pastor Kevin is walking through a series on prayer. And so if you've missed some of those, I would encourage you to go back, listen to him. Come this Sunday, he's going to be talking again about prayer. And so it's kind of cool the way this fell uh, as we came to the end in James where we're, we're talking about prayer here right at the end. And so we see that the importance of prayer is not new to us. If I walked around... And I just called each of you by name and I said, hey, I want you to write down some specific things that Christians should do on a daily basis. Every single one of you would probably say, I need to be praying. 
I think all of you would say that. So we know that we should be praying, but oftentimes we just don't. If we're honest, we would say, hey, I know I should pray, but for some reason, I don't. Whether you feel like you're too busy, you try and cut, carve out that time uh, in your day to pray and your mind wanders. Listen, again, I don't stand up here to say that, hey, I have this incredible prayer life. It is hard for me. It takes discipline. Again, do I pray throughout the day? Hey, I get in my car or hey, before a meal? Uh, yes, I do those things. But I want to do more than just a casual, hey, God, help me with this. I, I want to live a life of powerful prayer. And I think that many of you would say the same. And the thing is, is that James here teaches us in, in this passage the importance of prayer. And my hope is that as we look at how James talks about prayer, that there would be something in our heart that, that softens up and that is receptive to this idea of prayer so that you and I would walk out of here and say, hey, I'm going to make a decision to pray. And so we're just going to look at some uh, three points tonight. Point number one is this, invitation. Invitation. I want to read verse 13 again. James says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So what we first see here is that God invites you to come to him in prayer. So remember, yes, James is writing this book, but we know that scripture was God-breathed. So James was writing something uh, on the behalf of God. God is speaking through James. And so when James says, is any, anyone among you suffering, let him pray, we can understand that God is inviting us to pray. He's not just inviting us, he's telling us, come to me and pray. Talk to me. Come to me, those of you that are suffering, those of you that are hurting. And isn't this good news? I mean, this, this should give you hope. This should give me hope. Because we see that James is specifically talking to those who are suffering. And we see that this word suffering, if we look in other portions of Scripture, we see that it carries with it this idea of affliction, of, of being of, of, of being beaten down. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 also uses this word, the same word. He says, you therefore must endure hardship. It's the same word for suffering. You must endure hardship, suffering, affliction, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So I think it's interesting that in, that in Timothy, that, that Paul writes and he uses this word hardship, and he puts it in conjunction with a soldier. Think about soldiers. They go out to battle, uh, and it's hard. I mean, I mean, you're away from family, you're away from friends, you're getting shot at, uh, your body is hurting. And so think about a soldier that's been out on the battlefield. He's tired, he's hungry, he's bloody, he's thirsty. He has endured hardship. He is suffering. And James says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. We started out in James chapter 1 where James talked about trials. And he talked about how these trials produce patience. And we see that the people in the book of James, that, that, that many would say that they were a group of people who fled because the church was being persecuted. So when James says, is anyone among you suffering? He's probably talking about those believers who feel beaten down. And I don't know about you, but there are many times when I feel beaten down, where the, the enemy is working on me, my flesh is working against me, I'm tempted, 
I, I trip here, I fall there, and there's weeks that I go through and I just feel like I get all shot up. I don't know if you feel like that. I don't know if you ever feel like that where you, you feel like you keep messing up. Maybe you feel dry. Again, imagine that soldier that's out there and he's been on the battlefield and he's just longing for, he's longing for some comfort and he's longing for somebody to help him to heal up his wounds. Have that image in your mind when you see James that says, is anyone among you suffering? I think if James were, were writing this right now to you and I, he would probably say something. Hey, are any of you guys struggling? Has it been a hard semester has it been a hard week? Are you, are you struggling hanging on? Maybe there's been some opposition from friends. Maybe there's been opposition at work. You're trying to live this, this godly lifestyle. You're trying to follow Jesus, but you've come to realize that it is extremely hard. I'm tired. And I want to find some, some form of comfort. And it seems so simple, but James says, let him pray. And it'd be easy for us to read that and to say, yeah, yeah, I, I know I need to pray, but tell me something else to do. No, no, no. We need to go back to step one. God is inviting you to come to him. God is inviting you to take your hurts, the things that you're struggling with, you feel beat up, you feel like you've been on the battlefield and man, you feel like you've lost some of the battles. Maybe you've had some victories, but you're just tired you feel like you're suffering, God says, come to me. He invites you to come to him with those hurts. We see in several other passages, I want to walk through a few of these. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. If you want to jot these down, then go back to them. These are verses you want to hang on to, you want to cling to. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now the author in Hebrews is talking about Jesus as our high priest. Again, you may not know a ton about the priestly functions, but in the Old Testament there would be a priest who would slaughter an animal on the behalf of, of the people. And he would, he would do that to atone for the sins of the people. Well, we see that Jesus is, is the great high priest, that Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus doesn't kill an animal. Jesus himself is killed. So he is the sacrifice. And so the author in Hebrews, he says that we don't have a high priest like they had in the Old Testament. We have a high priest that struggled here on earth. Now he was sinless, but he experienced the hard things that you and I experience. So when you feel like you're suffering, you can come to Jesus and you can know that Jesus knows what it's like to struggle because Jesus was persecuted. Jesus endured hardship. So if, if you feel like you've endured some hardship, when you come to Jesus, you can know that Jesus has endured that. That's what the author in Hebrews is saying. And so because of that, he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So we can come to God in prayer knowing that God knows what's going on. 
Jesus has been through those hardships. And so he's not some distant person. He's like, yeah, I've never been through that. No, he has been through it. Jesus has experienced the greatest rejection. He's experienced it. Anything that you feel like you may be experiencing right now, Jesus has experienced so much more. And so you and I can come boldly to him. Philippians 4 Verse 6 and 7 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We are to bring our requests to God. We're to pray. And so, again, if the enemy wants to prevent us, from finding comfort and peace in our time of suffering, of course, he's going to come at us and try and prevent us from spending time in prayer. We see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, says this, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You see, God is inviting you and me to come to him in prayer. You know, me and Angela just had a son, and he's back there. He's sleeping right now, and he can't talk. He can make some noises, but I love going home and picking him up and just holding him and spending time with him, and there's going to come a day where he can kind of waddle and walk around, and he can talk, and I'm hoping that when I come home, he'll light up and come running to me, and he'll just let me grab him. Here's the thing. We, too, have a father who looks forward to his children coming to him. In the same way that I look forward to Hudson being in my arms, hey, even if he's crying, it's okay. I've got it. I love spending time with him. Is it hard sometimes? Yes. But I love spending time with him. Our father wants to spend time with us. He wants that. He's inviting us. There's an invitation for you and I to spend time with our Father in prayer. And so sometimes we think about prayer as drudgery. Ah, oh, I got to pray. I got I to check that, that box off. But God wants it to be a delight. Now, is it hard? Does it take discipline? Absolutely. But when we begin to spend time with our Father in prayer... I think that you'll find that there is great delight in that. To give you an example of this, there was a group of us that, uh, that met uh, this past Sunday, and we were prayer walking over some schools. Uh, this, this coming Sunday, there will be a different serve project that you can be a part of, but this past Sunday, we were prayer walking over different schools. And so, I'm just being honest with you, I started to walk around and pray, and I was, kinda, I was looking at a list of things, and I was, I was trying to pray for those uh, but after I continued to pray for a while, I really began to pray. And I saw a quote earlier this week, and I, it's, it's a simple quote, and you might, it might not make sense at first, but here's what the quote says, pray until you pray. And I began to think about that, and that's what happened to me on Sunday. At first, I was just kind of talking, and I was going through this list, God help this person, but then I began to pray. You see, many of us, we never actually pray. We may say something to God, but our heart's not really in it. Our mind is on so many things. And this quote, it says, pray until you pray. 
There's this idea of, of going deep in prayer and staying there until you have met with God. See, sometimes we don't have the patience or the discipline to stay in that. We give it a moment, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, and we're like, I don't know what else to pray for. Okay, I'm done. But no, no, staying in that, stay in there. See, God is inviting us to come to him. And there's many of you, again, you're going through some hard things. You feel like these people in James, you're suffering. And God is inviting you to pray. Last week, uh, as you know, I, I wear headphones when I'm playing the drums so I can hear things that are going on. And we were getting set up, and, and I couldn't hear anything through my headphones. And I was like, Tanner, something's wrong with these. And, um, and so we're kind of messing around, and then Tanner comes back there, and he looks at this cord, and he plugs it in. And I was like, okay, thank you, Tanner. I appreciate you for plugging my headphones in. Here's the thing. When we don't spend time in prayer, we're, we're disconnected from God. That's the, that's the power source. That's your power source to get through the day, to get through those hard moments. That is the source of power. And if you and I aren't spending time in prayer, then there is, there's an amount of power that is not going to make it to you. And it's not that God doesn't want to give it to you, but you have to be willing to receive it and spend time with him in prayer. And so we see that when we don't spend time, we're disconnected. And God still loves us, yes, but we're missing out on blessings. We're missing out on a special fellowship that God would offer us. And so first off tonight, I want us to understand this idea of invitation, that God is inviting us to pray to him. And this is a beautiful thing. This, this is something that, that gives us hope that each and every day that our father longs to hear from his children. And so would you and I spend time in prayer? Number two, celebration. Let's continue to look. God invites us to come to him, not just in the bad times, but also in the good times. Let's look back at our text. He says, is anyone cheerful? So first off, James says, hey, is anybody suffering? Does anybody feel like, man, this is hard? But then he says, hey, the other end of the spectrum, how many of you are doing good? Man, it's been good. It's been a great week. You know, it's been a great semester. You're making good grades. You just got a raise at the job. Like work is going well. Family's going good. Relationship. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Now, God doesn't just invite you to spend time with him when everything's going wrong. He wants you to spend time with him when things are going well. This is a beautiful thing we see throughout Scripture, that when God does these great things in people's lives, we often see the people respond in praise. Why? Because they're looking to the one who gave them the blessings that they have, whether it be a victory of some sort. And so we see that God invites us to pray to him, not just in the good times, but also in the bad times. And we see that singing psalms, that this is praise. This is praying with music. That's what it is. When we sing songs, many of those songs are prayers to the Lord. When you look at the book of Psalms, when you look at that, you see that these are prayers, that the psalmist is praying to God, but he's doing this in poetic language, and many of these would be sung. I want to read to you a portion of Psalm 92. We see this. The psalmist says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp with the har harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad. He's cheerful. Things are going well. You've made me glad through your work. I will triumph 
in the work of your hands. So we see that the psalmist here, he's praising God. And, and that when James says, hey, if you're cheerful, sing songs of praise. Focus your hearts and minds on God. Now, here's the thing. We talked about this last week or the week before. But oftentimes, because we have so much and because life may seem to be going well, we will actually get our eyes off of God. And so a beautiful truth that we see here in what James is saying is that it is very easy when everything's going really well for us to actually get very far away from God. Because we feel like we got everything. Things are going great. Again, work's going great. Relationships, school, all of it. And so it would be so easy to not look to God. And yet James says, hey, if, if things are going well, sing psalms. Sing praise to God. And when we sing praise to God, our hearts and our minds are, are fixed on who God is. And we see that this is what the psalmist did. And so you and I are called not just to come to, come to God during hard times, but to come to, to him in good times. And notice that this pretty much gets the whole scope of everybody. Hey, no matter where you are on the spectrum, things are hard, things are good, you're in the middle. James is saying, come to God. Fix your heart on him, fix your mind on him. Come to him in prayer and in praise. And then lastly, point number three, we see this, association. God wants us to involve others in prayer. He wants us to associate with others. See, sometimes we live out our Christian life privately, but we see here in this next section that this is not what we're called to do. If we look back at our text, James says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. So he goes back to somebody that's suffering. So we kind of see these three moments. Hey, is anybody suffering? Let him pray. There's one. Hey, the next moment, is anybody cheerful? Let that person sing psalms. Number two, and then our third moment is, hey, is anyone among you sick? So this is a little bit different than suffering because that first idea of suffering, it seems to be that it wasn't so much a sickness of suffering, uh, but it was something, perhaps spiritual, again, persecution, something like that. But here in this next part, we see that this is talking, what many would say is, is a physical ailment. Now, some would disagree and say this may be spiritual sickness, but we're going to work through this uh, understanding that this is probably talking about a physical ailment. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. I've heard it said before like this, although we have a personal relationship with God, we should not have a private relationship with God. See, there would be some people, maybe you have friends like this, that would call themselves a Christian. They would say that they love the Lord, but they're not about to come to church on a Sunday. Some people would say, oh, I love Jesus, but I hate organized religion. Or I love Jesus, but I don't, I don't really see a need to come and gather with other believers. That's really not biblical. James is talking about a specific moment right here where somebody's sick and that person comes to other believers. But a bigger picture of what James is saying is be involved in other people's lives to where the elders, the pastors, ministers, leaders in the church, they should be involved in every person's life. And it's just and it's not just the leaders. Again, when, when James says, hey, come to the elders and ask them for prayer, really, there's just this truth of prayer should be important in all of our lives. 
that it is important for us to go to other people and involve other people in our walk with the Lord. That this person who's sick, that the, the last thing that they should do is walk through this alone. That James says, hey, go get some help. Ask for help. Cry out to the leaders and ask them to pray for you. Involve people. Don't walk through the Christian life privately. It's not biblical. We're to live it out publicly as a group, associating ourselves with other people. And so we see um, that this is what we did this past Sunday. We gathered together as a group and we went and prayed. This coming Sunday, there's going to be a group that gathers in here. And we're going to prepare these bags. And these bags are going to be distributed at hospital waiting rooms and different stuff like that. But we're going to pray over those bags. We're going to do that as a group, as a community. And so we see that this is what James is talking about, involving the community, doing this. And so we see, though, that specifically there are moments, just like what James is talking about, there are specific moments where if somebody's sick, it's the idea that this person is probably bedridden, Maybe there's some great ailment, and they don't see any way out of it. We see that there are those moments where there should be special times of prayer for people. And, and I'll tell you this, uh, since I've been on staff, there haven't been a ton of these moments, but there have been people who've called the church and say, hey, here's what's going on in my life, whether that be cancer or some sickness, say, can the, can the staff please come and pray over me? We say, yeah. And so we've, we've done exactly what this passage said. Somebody got some oil out of their office? We all got a little bit of oil on us and put oil on them, and we laid hands on them when we prayed for them. And in that picture in your mind might be like, why is James telling us to put oil on people and pray for them? And it's interesting. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, symbolism here and some figurative pictures that James is saying when we talk about oil. Because was there little, literal oil? Yes, there was. But when we look at the Old Testament, what was the oil for? And you may say, well, I'm not really sure. But if you think back to different moments in Scripture where somebody was anointed with oil, it was when somebody was being consecrated before the Lord. Moments like when Samuel went to anoint David, King David. He's going to be the next king. And so what happened? He was anointed with oil. And so it's this idea of being set apart, being consecrated before God, saying, okay, God, here's, here's your man or whatever it be. We're asking that you do this. And so when James is saying that, anointing these people with oil. It's this idea of, of us coming and saying, okay, God, we're asking that, that you would fall down on this person in a special way to heal them. So there's been moments where we've done this as a church. But for you and I, if we're thinking, okay, what does this look like in our daily life? We need to understand the importance of prayer and the importance of prayer as a community, that as a community, we would gather that this is not one single person off by themselves saying, I, I, I can make it. I think I can, I can do it. I can make it through this by myself. No, this person is involving people. You and I are to involve people in our walk with the Lord. And we see, if we continue to, to look, it says, And the prayer of the faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time here. We could talk a long time about, you know, God answering prayer. This is not some magical formula to get an answer from God. There's times that we would anoint somebody with oil, pray for them, and that person would die, and they would not be healed, at least not on this earth. And so James is not giving this magical formula. He's simply 
talking about the importance of prayer and what it looks like in the context of a local church. That there are these special moments where, for instance, if one of you was going through something extremely tough, and if you brought it to my attention and we knew, there would probably be a moment, just like these many moments we've had before where people have gone off to mission trips and we've said, hey, let's, let's come around, let's lay hands on them and let's pray for them. Because this is a very special moment. If it's a sickness or if it's an ailment, obviously a tough situation, we're praying for this person. But if this person is going off, they're going away somewhere, obviously we're praying for protection for God to use them. And so, again, for you and I, if we're looking at this text saying, okay, God, what does this look like in my life? I want us to understand that, that God is talking about this involvement in the community, prayer being involvement in the community. And there are those times where we would pray and God wouldn't give an answer with a yes. There are those times. And we have to understand that God's ways are higher than ours. He's smarter. He's more wiser. And that he's not trying to make you and I happy necessarily. But he does want what is best. Sometimes what's best for you and I doesn't necessarily make us happy. But God is concerned with us being holy. And so sometimes God doesn't necessarily answer our prayers the way we would want. But that does not make him less good. Doesn't make him evil. And it calls for us to trust in him. And so we see this, that sometimes God doesn't always answer our prayers, but we know that he can. We know that he can. And we know that God does answer prayers according to his will. When, when it is something that God wills and when we're praying in accordance with that, of course he's going to answer that. And, and if we continue to look in verse 16, we see confess your trespasses to one another. Again, do you see the community involvement here? This is not one single person trying to live out the Christian life on their own. This is association with other believers. This is me getting close, you know, with somebody else and saying, hey, man, I'm struggling with this. I need to confess some sin to you. Confess your, your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know, this is this idea of you and I having people in our life where we can talk about our struggles and we have somebody that we can come to and say, man, I'm, I, I've had a hard week. I've messed up here. And, and I've confessed it before God, but I want to confess it before you because I want to get it in the light. And so we see that this is something that should be a part of our lives. Again, don't hold on to it. Don't hide it in the dark. Confess your trespasses, your sins to one another. And we're not going to spend too much time with this, but it seems, and in, in, in just in studying this passage and seeing what other people have said, and even in other passages, there are times, and, and, and James seems to be talking about this a little bit, there are times when somebody's sickness is related to sinfulness. It's not all the time. So the next time you get sick, don't think, oh, I'm sick because I got sin. But there are times. We see this in passages that talk about the Lord's Supper. It says, don't take the Lord's Supper in such a way um, you know, being defiled and uh, somebody who's not a believer, we see that there are some consequences for doing some of those things. That there may be a sickness, something that is in your life that you can't seem to get rid of because of an, an amount of sinfulness. And so we see that James is talking about confessing sin and, and being healed and all these. And so there's an element of that. So again, don't take that too far. Uh, I was listening to somebody else talk about this and we don't want to take that too far. Some people would go so far as to say that, hey, if, if you're living for the Lord, you'll never get sick. That's not true. 
You know, you're going to get sick even when you live for the Lord. But we do need to understand that, there, that sometimes these things are connected like this. And so this goes back to this idea that, again, we're living in connection with other believers, that this is a community and that we're to associate ourselves with them. And then we finally get to verse 17 and 18 where James talks about this illustration. He talks about Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on a land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So you can go and read this story in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. Crazy story. I encourage you to read that later. But what James is saying is that, hey, here's an example of a guy who's much like us. He prayed, and God used him. There was a specific moment in his life. Elijah prayed, and it didn't rain for years. And then he prayed, and it did. And so what James is teaching is that you and I, you may feel like a normal person. Well, James just said Elijah was, was a guy with a nature like ours. He, he's a normal guy. He's a person. And yet he was a person of prayer, and God used prayer in his life. And God wants to use prayer in your life and in my life. You may not feel like this powerful prayer warrior. That's okay. James says that Elijah, with a nature like ours, he prayed and it didn't rain. So again, you and I can be people of prayer, but we have to take that step. We have to take that step. And lastly, James ends with this, verse 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I love that James ends like this. I kind of see it separated from what we just talked about with prayer. Because James has just walked this group of believers through. He's talked about a lot of hard things. Again, I've been extremely challenged by this. I hope you've been challenged as well reading through. But James gets to the end, and he talks about those who would wander from the truth. He's just explained what the truth is. He's explained what it looks like to share your faith and to live that out and to what that should look like. And then James says, hey, watch out for those who drift away from this and go after those people. And again, this is kind of this idea of associating ourselves with other believers, that if I see somebody drifting off, that I should go over here and help them out. Again, we're not called to live our, 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 our Christian life privately. I, if I see somebody struggling, if I see somebody tripping and falling after this sin or that, I should go after them, pursuing them, praying for them, inviting them to come back. And we see that this should be a part of the body of Christ. And so in the same way that James was saying this to this group of people. We have now finished the book of James. We've walked through it. And because we've walked through it, we've heard the word. As we've, as we've read at the beginning of the, of, the, uh, of the book, we're to be doers of it now. And so as a community, we need to watch for each other. As this last section says that, that we would look, is anybody drifting off? Is anybody wandering? We need to go after that person. We need to pray for that person, encourage that person, and let them know, hey, that is not the direction God would have you go.